thing about ideologies, you know, in the old days when they used to fight the European wars, they just fought for good old greed, not ideology. So when they took over another country, they wouldn't destroy the statues <laughs> and the buildings and stuff for ideological reasons. Marxists have this ideological thing going that they're, they're more loyal to the the ideology than life in, in the sense of, so th this is a kind of a new kind of a thing where you elevate the ideology to God. You elevate it, the ideology, it becomes the conscience of the person. So anytime you serve the, the collective, this is right. Every time you don't serve the collective, it's wrong. So what we're going to look at, uh, I am going to look at the subject of Marxism from the Vedic vision of God and the psych Vedic psychology as unfolded by Swami Dayananda. So there's many ways you can look at Marxism. You can look at it as a sociologist. You can look at it as a philosopher. But we're going to look at it and we're going to, because you see, context determines meaning. So if I look at it as a philosopher, it'll have a certain meaning. If I look at it as a sociologist, it'll have a certain meaning. But I want to look at uh, Marxism from the Vedic vision as unfolded to me by Swami Dayananda, because this gives, when you do it this way, you can clearly see the error of this Marxist collectivist thinking and you can understand it and it's important to understand it because our children come under the sway of it um, and also uh, it has now become what i would call a very subversive influence uh, in terms of cultural destruction i think what we'll do is we'll start first of all uh, with an experience i had about uh, about 15 years ago i had a friend of mine who was english and we were talking about what happened in the city of Dresden. Dresden is a German city, and at the end of the nearing the end of the war, the Allies bombed it. And what happened was it was a city that was a beautiful city. It was mainly old people and children. Uh, it was not a military target, but what happened was they first of all they firebombed it. And they first of all flew over, they firebombed it. And then when the ambulance come out, about 45 minutes later, they firebombed it again. And then when people tried to go to the parks where there were trees, they also bombed the trees. So I said to this guy, I said, this was a war crime. Now, this man I know to be an intelligent man, and he's actually a good man. But he said to me, it was not a war crime because they bombed Coventry and <laughs> it was striking the fact that he was not seeing individual persons women and children being incinerated by firebombs what he was seeing was that because they had the label German he saw them as he saw them as a class so he didn't see them as individual persons. He saw that all that was happening was that Germans, the enemy, were being bombed and killed. So he was engaging in what uh, Swami Dayananda calls objectification. In other words, 
he was not seeing persons, he was seeing a thing, and a thing worthy of punishment and destruction. And it's, it surprised me, actually. But <laughs> um, so, and in, and in his mind, these people, because they were German, they deserved to be punished for the suffering that that so-called class had inflicted on England, mainly Coventry, which was a suburb of London. Now, so what happens is, is that uh, for Swami Dayananda, he made a good point. He says, to see someone as a criminal is to do violence to the person. Rather, we look at it the here as a person who is given to crime. Now, you'll notice that that's a very sane way of looking at it. It's also a very kind and compassionate way because Swami Dayananda happened to also be a beautiful human being besides being a spiritual genius and psychological genius. And the thing, they, the thing that... Um, the thing with Marxism is Marxism is a term which is, uh, refers to a collectivist way of thinking. It's an ideology. It's an ideology. Now, the thing is that as an ideology, it has certain reality assumptions, which in philosophy we say ontological assumptions. These are reality assumptions about what human beings are, what good is. Um, and one of the uh, fundamental things with uh, Marxism is that they don't look at human beings as persons. They look at human beings in terms of what class they are. And not only that, what is important is loyalty to the ideology what's expected is loyalty to the ideology. Now, Marxism doesn't appear always under the label of Marxism. Marxism appears as an ideology that basically has the view that one day we can create this utopian society where everyone will be happy. And this is based on the fact that they believe that human beings are a product of historical and social forces. That's what a human being is. So when I, I'm born in New Zealand, and that's what I am. I'm a New Zealander. I'm a product of social and, and historical forces. And my sense of identity that has been formed in me by social interactions and all that stuff is the being I am. That is what I am. Because, you see... Fundamentally, the idea is, is that the human being is simply a set of psychophysical processes, is a material thing that is, that is arranged in a certain way, and there's this thing, and it's the thing we could call a human being. So this is the thing, and to be is to be material, and that's their view, that what... When I'm looking at another human being, all I'm looking at is a thing made up of matter. And that consciousness is just simply a epiphenomena. It's just simply something that just 
arises out of this complexity. So I'm a complex thing as opposed to a cup, which is a non-complex thing. And this is what we would call this is what we would call materialism. But the thing that when we look at uh, so what happens is is that you get this ideology that people conform to. Now, one of the uh, unfortunate things with this is that in Vedic psychology, we've got a desire for security. We we work. This is very useful too. We've got this desire for security, one of the first drivings, and this security is very good because what happens is if if a truck or a car is coming towards me, I'm going to find myself having the urge to get out of the way. So this is a very important thing. This is a striving for security, and then I also have a striving for pleasure, which is also helps me negotiate life because when things get unpleasant. I'll start to change the environment and I'll see what's, you know, um, it'll help me live my life. As far as the Marxists go, that's all we got. We got security and pleasure. That is all, that is all there is to the human being. Uh, whereas the, what was unfolded to me by Swami Dayananda is that Besides the personality that I, has been formed in me by social conditions, which is true, psychosocial conditions that, that have formed my character or the form personality takes, there is besides that, there is myself as a simple conscious person. And myself as a simple conscious person finds expression, the dynamic form of this simple conscious person is love and care, which he calls the striving for Dharma. So that in, in, in me, I have a, an ethical striving. In the West, we call that the voice of conscience. I have an ethical striving, and we know this. Like, for example, when we lose our temper with our spouse, we feel, we feel remorse and regret because we have this striving. The Marxists don't recognize this at all because there's no such thing as, uh, first of all, a person. There's only a social identity. And secondly, um, I'm, there's no sense that I need to conform my life to these ethical strivings because all I need to do is I need to conform to the collective because the collective takes over conscience. The collective, so anything that forwards the cause is good and anything that obstructs the cause is bad. So there's no such thing as being receptive. See, Swami Dayananda said that the voice of Dharma is the presence of God as it exists in our heart and it gives direction to our lives. Whereas for these guys, there's no such thing. Now, I remember when I was at university, this postmodernist, who that's another term for this kind of philosophy that's called Marxism, postmodernism, identity politics, doesn't matter what you call it. He stood up and he said, there is no such thing as truth. And the whole room went quiet, you know, like there was a, he was saying, it was as if he was pronouncing something profound and something magnificent. And I couldn't resist it. I went, is that true, is it? And of course, everyone laughed. He hated me, that guy. I only got a credit for that subject. But anyway, but the thing is that these the the philosophy is is that 
there's no such thing as conscience. All conscience is, is I've got standards that have been internalized in my mind and that control me. And often they would say that this conscience also is corrupted because what I've done is I've eternalized the values and standards of an oppressive class. So that's a, so. when we look at um, the individual person, from the Vedic psychological point of view as unfolded by Swami Dayananda, is I, do not, I don't conform to some external ideology. That's not where I'm going to find my happiness. I need to conform to Dharma. I need to conform my actions so that when my way of being in the world conforms to these inner Dharmic strivings, then what happens is that is what that was what leads to a good life, a good, peaceful, harmonious life. Whereas these people who are into this collectivist type thinking, whatever you call it, liberalism, uh, you know, humanitarianism, they've always got high noting names because it's always done in the best, in the interest of the common good, is that what they demand is that you conform to the ideology, not to your conscience. And this is a, a massive problem. And so as a person, I've got a, 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 I am moved. Emotions mean what moves me. I'm moved by the desire for security. I'm moved by the desire for, for um, pleasure. I'm also moved in terms of dharma. I've got a striving to be in harmony with what is and to take care, to actually take care of myself and other people. And also there's the fourth striving, which is the striving for the absolute or the striving for God. The Marxists, as well as Western psychology in general, only recognize the first two strivings. They don't necessarily, they don't understand what it means to be a simple conscious person or to be a person. That's not everyone within our Western tradition, but generally speaking, that's the case. And in the West now, uh, in the West now, we are pervaded by this kind of uh, collectivist thinking that is trying to transform society so that everyone will be happy. The problem is, is that when we go back to this, uh, you know, the, the, these German people, persons who had a nationality of German, women and children, you notice how that this man felt that as a class, that because they belonged to the class of the same people who bombed Coventry, they deserved a collective punishment. They were seen as bad and as evil. Now, what we're having now is that we're having uh, an idea that um, what is being forwarded is that everyone is equal. Now, everyone is equal under the law, but everyone, everyone deserves a fair break. There has to be diversity and inclusiveness of everyone, which sounds very nice. I even agree with it. We should include people in our lives and we shouldn't treat them badly and all of this sort of stuff. The problem with this liberal left-wing Marxist thing, and by the way, when I'm talking about ideology, I also mean ideology on the right. If I'm identified with an ideology, a right-wing ideology, that's just as crazy because I will see anybody who does not belong to my group, my ideology, 
is outsided and therefore evil. And so you have this crazy thing going on where you've got a, a popular movement, if you like, that says that there's no right and wrong. You can't know what is right and wrong. Uh, and you see, in our Western tradition, we talk about um, we talk about goodness, beauty, and truth. This is our traditional, um, and these are what these are attributes of God. So, the idea that first of all they assault. There's no such thing as truth. So, that means that everything is to do with opinion. Everything is socially constructed. Everything I say, there's no such thing as a true statement. I'm only just simply giving an opinion that's been built into me. So there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as goodness. Goodness doesn't exist. It's That's just simply a personal opinion. And there's no such thing as beauty. So that when you see, you know, like when you see a beautiful mountain, there's something in your heart that responds to the beauty. And there's something, it's, there's more to it than just simply, my senses give me color and form. But what is it? Why is it in my heart? Am I moved by beauty? Now, I don't know much about the, the Hindu religious tradition, but you look at their religious liturgy. It, it's full of flowers and music, and it, it is quite, quite beautiful. You know what I mean? And something in you responds to it because it's beautiful. These people don't acknowledge beauty, goodness, or truth. In fact, they, they are an assault against it. Well, and one of the most pernicious or the most uh, dangerous things about this philosophy is it divides people. In other words, if you don't think, if you don't think with this open, inclusive idea, then you are oppressive and you're evil. And so it promotes the idea that you can righteously hate people, which is a rather strange idea. <laughs> that you can you can look at people as things and then you can also hate them for the right reasons which of course from the vedic point of view of dharma that's a crazy idea because that means that i can act violently and horribly and harmfully but i've got a good justification now whenever historically we have found uh when this Marxist collectivist type thinking has ever gained power. It has always been incredibly ruthless in terms of the destruction of persons. Uh, always for the best possible reasons, of course. Uh, but the thing is that uh, in, in my culture, my Western culture, the traditions that I, even though all our traditions are, are actually disintegrating, they've, virtually gone but there was always the idea that the human being is made in the image of likeness of god there was a sense of the sacred it doesn't have the strong sense of the sacred that the indian culture preserves and and keeps present but there was always a sense of the of the sacred whereas um when you're looking at when you're looking at uh uh the uh, the Marxist culture, there's nothing sacred in a human being. So when you slaughter millions of people for this utopian ideal, it's a right thing to do, because there's no conscience here. If you destroy, 
if you destroy the oppressive class, you know, like when that man looked at the these those Germans as if they were the were the bad guys. They honestly thought that doing that action of killing those people in Dresden was a good act because they were bad people. Likewise, when Marxism has ever taken over, there's the people who, who are the good guys, who belong to the collective, who are willing to conform their lives to this collective ideology. And anyone who didn't conform, they are bad. Therefore, they... Because they're bad, it's easy to kill them. Because once you make people into things, it's very, very easy to treat them with a tremendous amount of violence and yet feel virtuous. That's the danger of um, Marxism. The other thing, too, is that for our young people, they always pitch the story. You see, they always use... The way they the way they uh, characterize a culture, they, they, they use a tricky mechanism. You see, let's imagine that I see you do one thing that's wrong. Let's say I see, see you shouting at your spouse and I go, well, that's not very, that person's a bit, bit, bit bad, right? What I've done is I've taken one factor that at that moment in one particular time you shouted and screamed at your spouse. And now I say, because of that, you are totally bad. Now, you'll notice that every human being you know is going to have right things about them and wrong things about them. It's a spectrum. There's no such thing as a, a human being who can act in the right way all the time, every time or every instant. But what happens is, or a person has an experience with, a, with, with one bad cop, one bad policeman, then they think they're all bad. So the way the Marxists work is this. They take a wrong thing that every, any human being would agree was a wrong thing, right? So, for example, if I treat women badly, right, That's they label that patriarchy, but if I treat women badly, no one would agree, everyone would agree that is not a good thing. But what the Marxists do is they say that they will say that, ah, because someone treated that woman badly, it is because of the, the whole culture is patriarchal. Have you ever seen that thing? The, the sweeping generality. So that, so that because the fact is that in every culture that I know of, human beings treat each other badly at times. Have you noticed that? That's just a fact with every culture. But what the Marxists do is they will take something that's wrong or that keeps on recurring and say, because of that wrong thing, the whole culture is bad. It's a patriarchal evil culture. Now, and there's a certain logic to it. And young people can get suckered into this. They can believe the story because, there, you know, there are Indians, men who treat their woman badly there, you know there are australian men who do the same thing there are american men who do the same thing but that is the problem of human beings treating each other badly because when i fall away from dharma when i cease to be loving i to that degree i tend to become come hostile when i cease to be caring to that degree i become incompassionate and indifferent this is a universal problem. 
And so when you look at a culture and you superimpose it's patriarchal or it's it's the caste system, what happens is when you reduce it to an idea, it can then become an object of hate. And it's a form of collective slander. It's a little bit like if I get accused of being a child molester and people believe it, they're not any everything I say is nullified. Do you understand? It's just nullified because I've been slandered. So the same way how they attack a culture is through this type of slander. Now, I have never met any culture, and I've studied sociology, that doesn't have stratification. Every culture I know, the English who use this um, uh, caste system thing to control India, the biggest caste system you could imagine, they were just a completely hierarchical culture that had things. So the thing is that, and the, the one of the great problems with um, the collectivist thinking is that our cultural traditions and our customs and our culture, they have a profound effect on people psychologically. Because if I'm not, if I don't feel grounded, if I don't have, see, culture has a, a very strong protective function. It helps people live their lives. Now, I'll tell you a story about what happened in New Zealand. The majority of people, even though the Maori people are a minority in the culture, a lot of them are in jail, and a lot of them. A, lot of, a large percentage of Maori. And this little old lady about 20 years ago, she went into the jails. And here were these big mongrel, mong, black power type people, tattoos and stuff like that. Here's this little old lady. She went in there. And what she did is she taught them their culture. She taught them the harkers. She taught them how to do the carving. She taught them the singing. And so what happened was these young Maori boys who felt alienated within a white Anglo-Saxon culture felt a sense of identity they could relate to. And the percentage of, of when they left the jails of reoffending went down to about 5% instead of being about 40. So culture is extremely important. So when you get young Indians who, who are kind of, you have the onslaught of so-called Western culture, it's a bit of a misnomer, actually, because culture means growth. I'm not sure if that is much of a culture now, but it's, it's certainly a, it's a consumer type thing. This culture, this our so-called Western culture, assaults indigenous cultures. And we are experiencing a tremendous amount of psychological travail because we haven't really got a culture now. All our cultural forms have have disintegrated and there's a sense of emptiness and no sense of place and all of this sort of stuff. This is why Swami Dayananda's uh, understanding of the Vedic vision of God and living a life of Dharma is, I believe, our salvation. But that's another issue. But the thing that the thing that's important here is that if our young people come under the sway of this atheistic secular culture that says there's no God, there's no spirituality, the meaning of life is to have as many, have many kicks as you know until you car kick. It's a it's a major major problem, and so. Uh, but the the Marxist agenda is to destroy what they consider oppressive, 
and they consider traditional values like family, like God, <laughs> all of these things as an oppressive factor that needs to be eradicated so people can become free. And so they have to free the young people from this, this terrible, toxic culture that's, you know, in Indian case, it's just the caste system, it's patriarchal, it's bad, it's evil, it's blah, blah. So this is, this is a, um, a very strong influence. It's, it's, just, it's, it's had a tremendously strong influence in our intellectual or in, in, our, in our faculties in the universities because what it's done is it's, it's come into the, the uh, education, education people, the law people, the journalists. So it's, it's sort of spread a great deal. And so what happens is, is that it's a subversive force, really, in the sense that when people come under the sway of it, they will, and they start to look at their own culture through the eyes of it. And then what happens is it's not that they're doing this deliberately or that they're bad people. It's just simply that the way they're seeing the world is now they'll see their own culture as something maybe evil. Now, every, in every culture, there are people who do evil acts. Would you say that's true? So that's the, that's just, that's with every culture. But what happens is from, from, instead of the issue being that human beings treat each other wrongly and the solution to this is living a life of dharma, what it becomes is we're the virtuous ones because we believe in, in equality and in a beautiful society, a, a utopian ideal. And because of that, everyone else who doesn't believe this is evil. Now, you know, the thing about when you look at uh, a society through a completely, perfectly utopian lens, every society is going to look bad. Now, when I came back from India and I come to Australia, and I heard people complaining about the Australian culture. We're highly privileged. We're very, very lucky. It just doesn't wash. But even this wonderful culture that we have here that's prosperous and whatever, if you measure it against an utopian ideal, it can look incredibly bad. And this is how they propagate their, their message. Anyway, that's... Um, so any questions about this? I liked the way you related it to the Indian uh, reservation system and the Indian division of, uh, you know, caste, the way the castes are divided and some are privileged and some are not these days. I would like you to share that. Okay. I never heard until I talked to you, I never knew, knew about the reservation system. But this is an example of the fact that because you belong to a privileged Part class by birth, you are one of the, you're no longer a person who can be afforded and treated justly. You have to be treated in terms of the fact that you're privileged. Therefore, you have an advantage over other people. You're also part of a, 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 probably an oppressive class as well as that. 
And so therefore, you, can, you are not afforded the same rights as other people of a different class. So this objectification of you as a person into a thing, that's, that's the reservation system is like it's institutionalized now, that type of objectification. And that's what I would say is that is not only it's, it's unjust and it's Adamic because it does violence to you as a person. And the other thing is this. Is, you know, the real or imagined wrongs of the caste system, of the Brahmins, are you as a person responsible for the fact that 50 years ago certain people acted or, or treated other people from a lower class in a bad way? Are you responsible for that? But if... But when I think in terms of identity politics, you are. And you deserve the punishment due to your class. That's how the, that's how the thinking works. So, so the corollary also works, no? Because uh, you are a backward class and your ancestors 500 years ago were not treated rightly. Yep. So now you get all the privileges. Uh, when we become independent, you get a caste system. Now it is your fourth generation, which is, uh, you, you get the reservation. And now it's fourth generation who's reaping the benefits of the reservation and the subsidies and the money. And they're actually richer. And if I look around, the lowest jobs, the most menial jobs, cleaning of toilets mm -hmm. in our public toilets, which are Sulab Shachalai, 80% mm -hmm. of the sweepers, toilet mm -hmm. cleaners are Brahmins. So well, that's it has worked in the reverse now. Yes. Now that's again a very, categorization. That's a way. very that's a very interesting point. The fact that uh, there are some people in America saying that because I'm black and because uh, my forebears have been treated so badly, I deserve reparation. Now, that's based on the thing that I am my social identity. You see. So if, if, if it's true that they are their social identity, you see, the, the confusion in the thinking is, is that because they were treated badly 50 years ago, that's a whole different set of people. It's the same label, but we're talking about different people. And so the thing is that the problem with ideologies, either left or right, is as soon as you look at a person as a thing, you have ceased what Swami Dayananda, you've ceased to see the person. You do violence to the person. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a terribly uh, violent way of looking at people because it always results in injustice. Why should you be penalized for the real or imagined wrongs of people 50 years ago? You said that uh, it, uh, we suffer. So this is due to our karma. If we destroy a culture, we have to adopt any culture. So what do this Marxist think of it? So he has two questions. One is that uh, the Marxists believe that culture, all the old traditions is bad. So they ask you to give up the culture. But what do they offer instead of that? Instead of your culture, what is it that they offer? And uh, Well, can we answer that first? Yes, answer that first. They offer a utopian culture where everyone will be happy and peaceful. Because it's just and, and equal, everyone is lovely and, and, uh, and, and harmonious. In other words, they offer blue sky for nothing. 
It's just nothing. It's what they offer is a utopian ideal that is not possible to create based on the thing that because the society creates the individual and determines whether they're happy or not, which is not true. Only wisdom actually confers happiness. Um, the thing is that that's what they offer in terms of that. So they don't offer anything except this ideal, the social ideal uh, of utopian. And they always offer it as a future thing, by the way. It's always for the new world order. When Trotsky was asked, you know, they said to him, you know, the six million Russians have died so far. He says, yes, but that's for the, you know, that's for the new world order. This is what, what needs to happen. It's sad, but it's necessary. So they offer a utopian society which can never be brought about because human beings, when they fall away from Dharma, they can be relied upon to act badly. Whether you're Indian, whether you're New Zealander, American, Australian, Chinese, doesn't matter. The universal rule applies. One of the things uh, Bertrand Russell said about uh, Marxism is that it is a Christian heresy. So I would like you to explain a little bit about uh, typological similarities, if there are any, between uh, you know, uh, prophetic monotheistic traditions and uh, Marxism. Well, first of all, I'm not, I mean, I've done some sociology. Uh, I like Bertram Russell in a sense, right? Um, the thing is that the Christian, the, there's a Christian Judaic ideal, which is the brotherhood of man. Okay, so that the, but the thing is that it says that man is united in the sense that we're all children of God, right? Uh, but what, uh, and of course, if we recognize ourselves as a child of God, it would make a big difference in terms of our behavior, actually. But what the Marxists do is they say, yes, we take this so-called Christian ideal, and what we do is we say, have you ever heard of when, when, you, when you deal with these kind of um, uh, Marxist types, they always talk about compassion and caring for people and creating a fair world and all of this stuff. You ever, is it, you're familiar with this? So this, and I, I think this is in the sense that he would have, I haven't read his particular article on this, but I'd say that that's what he's talking about, that it's a, it's a spinoff of the Christian Judaic ideal of the brotherhood of man. However, it doesn't produce the, the whole uh, methodology of Marxism is you, first of all, create two opposing groups that fight each other in order for one, for the, the suppressed group to overcome the oppressors in, and so that the whole game is power. It's never dialogue. It's never brotherhood, actually. It, what Their methodology to, in order to attain power is to create fractions or divisiveness between people. This is about the importance attached to uh, identities, as you explained, by Marxists. So the point is that uh, every society groups people according to identities. For instance, people have citizens with certain privileges, non-citizens that don't have those privileges. So this is pretty much operational and in many ways useful. Yes, there's, so, always, uh, there's always stratification of roles, always in every culture. Yes. So how, how do you then view the Marxist view of uh, identities as especially harmful as rel relative to any other kind of identity that has been used over centuries? The thing about ideologies, you know, in the old days when they used to fight the European wars, 
they just fought for good old greed, not ideology. So when they took over another country, they wouldn't destroy the statues <laughs> and the buildings and stuff for ideological reasons. Marxists have this ideological thing going that they're, they're more loyal to the the ideology than life in, in the sense of... So th this is a kind of a new kind of a thing where you elevate the ideology to God. You elevate it, the ideology, it becomes the conscience of the person. So anytime you serve the, the collective, this is right. Every time you don't serve the collective, it's wrong. So it's, it's, it's devoid of any... It's, it's kind of like a... Uh, the, because the solution is ideological and because the solution is go going to... Uh, this, the means become sacred, if you like. The means become sacred. Yes. It's like um, we have a, 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 a monk, St. Thomas Aquinas, and he said that, that, the, that you, know, you have a means towards an end. So religion is a means towards an end. It's a means to bring about a knowledge of God. When that means becomes the end, when the instrument becomes all important, You'll hate anybody that doesn't adhere to the instrument. Okay, no one, no, I, I don't disagree. It would be lovely if we had a society that was fair and just, that wasn't full of killing and violence. I think that would be a great idea. Most people will agree with that. But what they do is they say, we are the way to attain this. Therefore, anybody that does not abide by this, a fascist. I mean, you know, you get this is what you get often when we come out of the school and just enter into the university environment, first year, second year, we are introduced to this idea of Marxism. And mm -hmm. it is sold as if whatever wrongs in our society, the divide in the class is because of the inheritance, like uh, it has some internal uh, wrongs and that can be only tackled with the Marxism. And at that point of time, as a listener, as a student, we do not think this very deeply. And we just like buy this idea with the face value. Mm -hmm. And by the time we start thinking deeply about it, we are out of the university environment and uh, our social outreach is limited. Newer generations will be falling to the same trap in a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. And... I don't see any new waves of ideology or set of people who are working against it or trying to tackle the problem at its root. You can't fight them with the methods that they use. If you, if you become hateful and um, it's like, have you seen people on the left and the right fighting each other? You, do you know what I mean? You, you, you can't... Um, you can't have what St. Thomas Aquinas is a wrong, you can't have a wrong means to a right end. So the thing is that I've found when I've talked to Western people <clears throat> uh, about, for example, uh, Swami Dayananda, I've, got, I've talked to a group of uh, clinicians, psychotherapists and psychologists or whatever. When you show the value of something, when you show that, you know, that, that the human being is not just simply the personality, which is formed by social and historical forces, but the basic person, the basic conscious person has a different origin than, than physical matter and, and has ethical strivings. 
what happens is you it's like um you know that you, i'm sure you've heard of the metaphor of the snake snake and the rope uh, that the way to make the snake disappear is to point to the rope see there's a rope there's a rope there's a rope. look at look at that there's a rope oh my goodness there's a rope there you see but it doesn't mean being passive in the sense that when people bring things up for example is it true that if i create a society around me does that's happy do you do you think suddenly i become first of all a loving human being who's caring at all times that that's stupid that's ridiculous do you know what i mean because uh, swami dayananda says that emotional growth is self initiated and this is based on what how we see human beings i think what's important is uh, is we educate by you know uh, what swami dayananda do is he would just shed light on life he would just shed light so you could see what was true and that, so this is this is different from the from opposing but i think i think it's important to uh denounce error you know what i mean when when you come across the philosophy that there's no no such thing as right and wrong that you know you can say well you know i don't think that's right you know what i mean and you can say why do you know what i mean when there's you know so it's a very in our western tr- philosophical tradition we got the socratic dialogue you know so some young person says oh you know we we want to create a lovely society or whatever you know it's a caste system and you say well, what do you mean by a caste system well it's got stratification well what what culture doesn't have stratification and then well it, well and and then they say well yeah but the 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 brahmins have suppressed the lower classes well what do you mean by brahmins you know what i mean you're looking at individual people what does that mean every single brahmin has actually treated people from a lower class as bad so when you get specific what that the tr- you know the saying is that the knowledge of the truth will set you free i think what's necessary is what we call in the west defensive metaphysics you have to see what the disease is but you have to form approaches where you can show the error and the fallacy of it through dialogue because you don't you're not going to beat these people ideologically otherwise you're just going to have a war but i think it's very necessary that there has to be some form of resistance but the resistance has to be through communicating and dialogue not through not we don't want to become what we behold Do you know what I mean we don't want to we don't want to hate these people we just understand that they're under a certain way of seeing and what we want to do is get into communication with them and and when they use those generalities we go well, what do you mean by that what do you mean it's a patriarchal society does that mean that every man in india treats their wife bad well no well, okay what so some treat them well do that well yes so you break these sweeping generalities that so that they can see that they're looking at their whole culture which contains so many factors so many diverse things to take that whole culture and put it in the frame of one single concept that's madness and it's evidentially untrue can't be true i just wanted to build up upon the the previous question and answers that came about uh, you know so a lot of the marxist ideologies are uh, in, you know i would say uh, fed into the uh, uh, brain cells of young students at the university level mainly to the sociology and and history platforms 
Yes. So a lot of uh, the the uh, members of academia, especially in countries such as India and also in the West, uh, you know, given the departments of Indic studies, etc., uh, mm-hmm. tend to uh, possess the same ideologies, right? So you know, it's it's difficult to counter that. But if you just look at the history of Marxist-based societies, it starts it starts with anarchy, it ends with dictatorship, and followed by a subsequent rebuilding. So I, I was just curious as to find out that, you know, the, the history is right out there. Why can't someone just take a look at it and present an alternative viewpoint? I wouldn't say it's an alternative viewpoint. It's a realistic critique because I think that's something that's lacking because everybody looks at, at Marxism as a utopian principle. And it's not. I mean, other than China, all these societies have failed and, and China, for whatever it's worth, is essentially a capitalist uh, society engulfed in a military dictatorship masquerading as Marxism. So I would just like to know your opinion about that. Okay, there's two things. You see, what happened was there was economic Marxism, and after Solzhenitsyn came out with his book, um, the Gulag, right? It was become very clear that that the Stalinist thing was 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 a terrible thing. The Maoist thing was a terrible thing. So then the French intellectuals, what they did was they did a kind of a sleight of hand, and then they decided instead of the the class structure between the bourgeoisie and the and the proletariat they started to talk in terms of 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 cultural marxism in other words cultural change cult ideas if you like right so whereas one was economic marxism that tried to bring about you know the centralization of distribution and production what the story was now was to bring about a cultural change the change in the way people see and that and to, to be able to look at the the culture in terms of factions and identities fighting each other and one one is privileged and one's not privileged so it's a different it's a different ball game than the marxism of old it's it's basically it's a kind of a war of the minds and hearts and it it has a, it, it the best way for you know when you're looking helping young people look at this you got to look at it like a religion that's what it is. It's like a religion. So it's got to set you. You got to be a believer, you, and you love fellow believers, and you hate the ones that don't believe it. And um, and you, it's 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 a noble cause now. You know, what I mean? it's a noble cause. We social activism. We're you know, we're going to create a nice society now. No one disagrees with working hard to create a fair and equitable society. Is that true? No one would disagree with that. But these guys aren't into that. These guys are into controlling, gaining power through winning hearts and minds to conform to an ideology. And so it's now what we call cultural Marxism. It's not economic Marxism. Does that? Hello, sir. So that was a a great session. I I have one question based on an observation, which, uh, you know, I could make out. So I'd like to start with observation and then, you know, I'd like to ask my question. Mm -hmm. So, my understanding has basically been that uh, Marxism as an ideology is able to influence people, uh, especially youngsters, because uh, it simplifies the apparent understanding of the problems, uh, you know, by drawing a very simple binary categorization. Say it can be like, you know, uh, rich or poor, haves or have nots, or uh, to draw parallel, uh, you know, a believer and a non-believer. This ideology once entrenched in young minds, uh, what I notice is that there is merely a sense to outrage more and more rather than have a solution for a given issue. So in other words, it is uh, easier and lazier to outrage 
draw false equivalences because false equivalence is something which we find huge in the indian context in the current political context in the current cultural context i mean it you tend to do a, a false equivalence you tend to you know become lazier and uh, you know intellectually incompetent to outrage rather than think dharmically or rationally because that is not straightforward so no wonder in general elitism and marxism which are apparently contradictory to each other they go hand in hand but the people who actually get influenced by it do not question it so coming to the question what exactly i mean given this entire background of how exactly marxism as an ideology uh, you know lures the youth and you know how they um, and i mean uh, you know influence and or brainwash the youth what can be done to ensure that uh, you know our youth do not get into such toxic ideologies okay now can we look at this from the psychology of swami dayananda okay because you see for swami dayananda you see i used to be upset about the fact that i was unhappy you know i thought there was something deep down inside me that was wrong right and but what he gave me an understanding of was that if you you know in our western scriptures we have the idea of the vine and the branches so if you got a if the branch is cut off from reality or god it withers doesn't it if the branch is cut off from the vine so human beings swami dayananda says suffer from a basic thing they're cut off from reality so they're incredibly fearful like really fearful consciously or unconsciously and they're self-hating he called it self-dissatisfaction i hate being what i'm like Now the the problem is is that and this expresses itself with a feeling of guilt a feeling of badness i am bad not just not i'm not talk, i'm talking about a being guilt not a guilt for a specific action and this is a tremendous problem for human beings so here i am i'm feeling bad i'm feeling like a bad person now when i can take that badness and i can project it onto other people when i can when i you know have you noticed that human beings have a tremendous urge like what you're saying to be outraged at the at the wrongness of other people right what i'm doing is i'm defending myself against this fundamental self dissatisfaction this is why this is why it's such a delicious thing i'm given a defense where i can feel virtuous i can feel innocent i can i can feel like i've solved the problem by hating others by condemning others now when you look at human life swami dayananda says the basic dynamics of this of the human being are guilt and hurt hurt people want to hurt so when you're hurt you know say you want to retaliate so the so here's a here's a young person they got various hurts everyone has hurt everyone has an accumulation they can suddenly they can suddenly express their hostility and rage in the most noblest of fashion so what they're looking at is th this unfortunately is projected self-hatred do you see what i mean so when i when i hate other people when i have this desire to attack have you seen people in social life attack each other either openly or through character assassination behind their back this points to what swami dayananda says this intrinsic hurt this this hurt centered on me have you seen people enjoy finding fault and criticizing others for their real or imagined wrongnesses it's they they literally have a desire to find fault 
So unfortunately, so here I am, I'm 16 years old. I feel like a bit miserable. I feel kind of bad. Do you know what I mean? And suddenly I can join the white hats. I can join the group of the virtuous and I can hate the sinners. It's, a bit, it's an old story. It's happened throughout our religious tradition in the West. So what happens is those, pe those young people, it is such a wonderful thing to feel virtuous because I'm lifted out of this tremendous burden of guilt. And then I can attack others. For Swami Dayananda, the only thing that's going to resolve that urge is if I resolve self-dissatisfaction, I hate being what I'm like, and the fear. And we're going to be we're going to be later on talking about Swami Dayananda's psychology because this is what this is what people I work with, this is the this is how unless what changes what moves people undergoes a change. There's no change. So uh, Marxism is incredibly appealing because it's a dramatization of tremendous self-hatred and it works exceedingly well. That's one of the problems with it. And, uh, and that's why it's so attractive to young people because they can sit together and they can come together and they can talk about how bad everything is and how bad other people are and stuff like that. I don't know whether, I mean, I've done that. I've done talked with a group of people and felt, who, have you ever, who's experienced that feeling of righteous indignation and, and, and feeling righteously pure by criticizing others? It's quite obvious, isn't it? So the, the Marxists make this an art form. So it's a, it's a hard one, Prashant. See, we, we have uh, two things. We have social reforms and we have uh, a Marxist ideology. So my question is that then uh, today when we uh, see them, many of us uh, tell the social reformist as a Marxist and the real Marxist, as we can say, you can say uh, in, uh, in them, they are the social reformer. So uh, this is a very, uh, you can say very small line. So what's the, the how to the identify this line? Because there are many people who are, uh, working for the social reform, they don't know about Marxism, anything, but they are working uh, on their way that uh, there should be a reform in a society. So what's the line? Yeah, the Marxism doesn't necessarily uh, come under the name of Marxism. It's, a, it's an ideology that basically says that, um, that there are good guys and bad guys. They tend to look at, uh, you see, Working for social reform is a duty. Swami Dayananda created schools for for um, uh, uh, for lots of children who lived out in the country and stuff. Do you know what I mean? So we're not. So social reform is very important. The Marxists believe that social reform is the solution to our problems. Okay, that that, that will what's what will create a happy world. Swami Dayananda would say that I, as an individual, uh, that the change is centered in the heart of the individual. So what, when what moves me, when I'm moved by love and care, then what happens is I stop dramatizing the hatred and the, and the uh, ruthlessness that comes from not living a dharmic life. So it all depends on where you see the problem. If you see the problem as external to you, okay, it's, it's, it's those people over there. And if we create that world, life's going to be happy. Whereas 
if you understand that 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 happiness is an individual thing in one sense it it's centered on the person and and the the religious traditions uh, of hinduism offer a way to come into conscious contact with god which is a very good thing so the thing is that, and they have an understanding of dharma so that the individual knows that you know i need to live my life in the light of dharma and and have a way of being in the world that is the solution to humanity's problems whereas these guys think that the solution is the superimposition of a so-called social structure which will make everything better it, it never it's never resulted in that when they get into power they are ruthless ruthless and and at the moment, they don't cut off their heads. They just digitally slaughter people, galatine people. Do you know what I mean? They cancel them. Do you know what I mean? And and they they what the other thing is, they don't like dissent. So you can tell whether or not by when you're talking to a person, whether you're talking to a person who's under the sway of an ideology or a person who wants social reform. You can talk to them. If they if they're not identified with that, they'll they'll talk to you. They won't have this thing. Ah, oh, the Brahmins are this or that. They're not going to be speaking in generalities. They're going to be a person relating to another person. But when you're associated with an ideology, you will fall into hatred. No doubt about it. And if you say something, if you disagree with them, they will hate you. And there's nothing you can do about that. You can't you can't do anything about it. It's fundamentally the difference between a social solution and a religious one. I wanted to add on something when you were talking about the righteous rage we feel. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that applies to almost everything because we have this unmet need of expressing rage. So even when we were talking about the title of this talk, when I months ago when we first met and I was mm -hmm. discussing with some people threat of Marxism, they sounded much more interested in the talk when, than when I said it is a cognitive distortion. Yes. So when I say it's threatening you. One of the things you said early on in the talk was that uh, the materialistic philosophy makes people less empathic. So uh, I would think that it is strictly not true because you can be a materialist, but that doesn't really tell you to go and beat up your neighbor. And secondly, I would also like your comments on heresies within Marxism, because you mentioned Trotsky. I thought that would be some useful information for our listeners. Thank you. Well, well, well first of all, with, with, uh, as far as, um, uh, yeah, that you're right. A person can, have, can be an atheist, but the, the movement of Dharma is still active in them. All right? So that a person, I mean... You know, there are some there are some atheists I know who are a lot more dharmic than good Christians. You know what I mean? So, so, so when I say um, uh, when I talk about materialism, I'm saying that if you are facing a person, you might find it hard to slaughter millions of people like Pol Pot did, like what's his name. And I'm not and I'm not actually qualified and not knowledgeable enough to answer about Trotsky and the and the. And I'm not familiar enough with the historical development of Marxism to answer that other question of yours. Because we, we as Bhartiyas, as Hindus, uh, we are born, born and brought up with this concept of the righteous walls in the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana. 
so we somehow when we hear this righteous war of the oppressed over the uh, uh, the suppressed over the oppressor the normal local people who get caught up with it in the college uh, in their college days and uh, mm-hmm. genuinely feel it is right because we are brought up with this wonderful concepts of fighting against what's wrong uh, we tend to take to this uh, psychologically yes because the whole point about dharma the whole point about the gita was the upholding of dharma now what transforms the world there are people like mahatma gandhi and uh, martin luther king who denounce evil they're not they're not dramatizing their self hatred they but they are being be square and up front and saying this is wrong this is not right now this is very important the thing is that and when when we see that the presence of dharma embodied in a person's life that is like a light isn't it in a world of darkness it's very very important and i think you guys call it sanata dharma don't you some some yeah so the thing is that this truly is the solution to the world's problems when i solve the world's problems with the greed and the hatred existing in me and i live a life of dharma i am solving the world's problem that exists in me that's a very good thing to do isn't it so but if i don't deal with myself i what will happen is i won't like myself what the, what the psychodynamic people say is i will repress the fact that that uh that i'm self-hating and what you repress you project and then you will hate others because of the fact that you haven't acknowledged the fact that you have a duty to live a life of dharma and learn to it living a life of dharma is not easy this i mean if it was easy everyone would do it but we have to, for swami dayananda we have to learn to live a life of dharma does that make sense but he was not swami dayananda wasn't a wimp do you know what i mean like when he i remember him you know we were doing a class and you know and i was used to him as this beautiful man he's not you know soft and lovely and you know all that stuff right i i just loved him and then he was he said, he had to do this video and it was he was talking about the temples and he was talking about paying money to the government or something do you, do you know what i mean he became a bloody lion like it was unbelievable it was like you know what <laughs> what's happening here because he he just looked into the camera and he said i can't remember what he said but it was like this is not right this is dada and we're not going to have it somehow like so you know <laughs> you know we were like, you know, i'd never seen that side of him he wasn't angry or hateful it wasn't based on self hatred it was actually based on he was doing his duty of 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 improving social conditions of 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 being just creating a just situation does that help with that absolutely the uh, i get the point that we need to understand and study actually what is dharma what exactly we need to understand the term and before uh, being deracinated and applying it uh, you know as a sweeping statement on anything that we see which likens to uh, whatever is happening in our epics i think we need to understand the concept first and we need to stand up for what is right and we can be soft at the same time 
So I really get that point, what you say. And uh, in fact, uh, Karl Marx's, uh, uh, you know, one of his teachers, Heil, was uh, heavily, uh, a heavy critic of the Gita. You know, he, he really dived into the Gita and he used to pull out. So I think somehow there was something that was manipulated from that book, the, the Gita as well, to try and influence people. That's what I read uh, when I was reading well, it. Well, yeah, the, the Marxists will use whatever. They will always use the most noblest of sentiments to first of all enroll the hearts and minds. Uh, but what we, where you see, where you see it's, uh, they demand ob- obedience to the, the ideology. A religious person uh, sees that the, their duty is to conform their actions to the dharmic strivings that exist in our heart. Do you, do, you, do you see what I mean? So, and that's a different game. And that means that I will denounce evil, but I'm not doing it on the basis of projection in the sense of self-hatred. Do you know what I mean? I'm doing what Dayananda calls the, the needful. And when we do some more discussion, I'm going to be going into Swami Dayananda's beautiful psychology because it changes the changes what moves us. Does that make sense? You know how we can sometimes be moved by wanting to be liked and admired? It's much better to be moved by wanting to be in harmony, be moved by love. For Dayananda, acceptance is love. So to be moved by goodwill, it's much better because then we act rightly. Have you noticed that if you're full of ill will, you tend to act wrongly? Or if, if you cease to be caring, you tend to be a little bit indifferent and ruthless? That's all our problems. But... What Swami Dayananda pointed out was, a, was an approach to life in which you start to become moved by dharma, not by what you, he calls binding desires. Given the Indian cultural context, you know, we have our um, epics of Ramayana and Mahabharata. And as you had, sir, rightly differentiated uh, how exactly, uh, you know, the concept of, you know, uh, fighting for dharma can be misinterpreted very easily and you know can be taken uh, advantage by the marxists uh, mm-hmm. you know of by such toxic ideologies to you know uh, further their own agenda mm-hmm. so given this uh, i mean my question was about to be like given the indian cultural context how exactly can we ensure that uh, you know our youth do not get lured towards this so but okay, then i guess now, you kind of answered yeah, it by no, telling no, that no, no, uh, i'm going to i'm going to tell you another thing which later on because we're going to do some more on dianander's psychology but I'll just give you a little bit of a, a thing on it. And what he said was this. You see, you notice how our mind tends to follow what we love, right? So what he talked about was that when I discover the value, the value of living a harmonious life in the light of Dharma, because he says you can't preach. He said preaching doesn't work. You have to show the value of the value. So, for example, when I'm dealing with married couples, right? How, inval- how valuable is it, for example, for you to live harmoniously with your spouse? How, how valuable is that? Very valuable. But that value has to become valuable to me before it moves me. Is that true? So it's an approach. This is why I, I find Swami Dayananda's psychology. I talk to all kinds of people now, right? The very fact that you can, when you show the, what he says, when the value of the value becomes valuable to you, it's your value. Right? So he has an approach that we can go into in another, another t- session, if you like. But 
when you're dealing with young people, you have to show the value of you, of the tradition. They're not going, if you don't show the value, they'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, forget it. But if they understand that their happiness, their real happiness is at stake, because in our Western tradition, we have a, a guy called St. Augustine. Forget about what his theology said, but he did it. He made a beautiful prayer. You know what he said? Thou hast made us for yourself, O Lord, and we are restless until we rest in thee. Everybody you know has a longing for God. They may suppress it. Do you know what I mean? And like Freud did. And then because he, because he resisted it, you know, he, even his own theory says he must have had a hidden attraction to it, the fact that he's so upset about it. Right? But everybody has a longing for God. And, so, and everyone has a longing for Dharma, actually, believe it or not. So when, when, it, when they start to, it's only by satisfying the longing for Dharma and the longing for God can we be happy. You can muck around with security and pleasure and making money and, you know, what I mean, and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Uh, but that is not going to give you a meaningful life. So it's a question of the discovery of what is truly good. What is truly good. So instead of an ideology that's put up there, this is your solution, peoples. Do you know what I mean? Right? Once it's understood that I cannot find the truly good unless I start to live in harmony with Dharma, you know what I mean? And unless I come into conscious contact with God, that helps a great deal. And that is, and that's where Swami Dayananda is brilliant. He unfolded the Vedic vision of God for a Western person like me. I'm not a Hindu. Do you know what I mean? And yet he had this remarkable ability. But anyway, thank you um, very much for putting up listening to this Westerner.